We're going to begin today by thanking everyone who shared last Sunday's service. Of 12 people did that on Facebook, and it essentially doubled the number of views that uh, uh, we had. So double the number of people or number of families uh, heard the service, the, 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 the praise and the, the preaching and so forth. So thank you for doing that. And again, I'd encourage people, uh, as, you, as you wish, of course, uh, to share what you see this morning. Let me pray. Gracious God, we're always eager to hear from you. We want to know your will for our lives. We want to hear your voice. We want, Lord God, for you to speak into our experience so that we are drawn close to you in understanding, so that we might live for you. So speak now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before Christmas, I was out uh, doing some shopping, as I guess many of us do, and I stopped into a store in Kitchener called Stereo, Stereo 2001. You may know of it, and I've seen other stores of that, of that uh, chain. I was looking for a soundbar, not to buy a soundbar for my new, newer television, got it a couple of years ago, but was thinking of just improving the sound at some point. And I was introduced to the Sonus Arc. It's a soundbar, 47 inches long, essentially cylindrical, and it had incredible sound. Multiple speakers in this bar, and, and it uses a new technology, essentially, and what it does is leave you feeling like you are immersed in sound. How it does it is the sound comes directly to you from some speakers pointed at you. Some speakers are pointed to the left and to the right, and you hear sound coming from the left and the right. Some speakers are pointed to the ceiling, and it sounds like the sound's coming down upon you. So if there's a helicopter in a movie, for example, you think the helicopter's above you. You hear it above you. If there's a car crash to your right, you hear it from the right, and so forth. It's just an incredible sound, an experience, if you would, that, that you can have when you have this Sonus Arc soundbar. Well, I want to suggest today uh, that as we can be immersed in sound in that way, so we are immersed as followers of Jesus in the grace of God. It's like the grace of God is given to us consistently over and over and over again, and it comes to us and it surrounds us in so many beautiful and remarkable ways so that we end up immersed in it. God reveals himself to us. He gives us a knowledge of who he is and of his love for us. He gives us a knowledge of Christ and the cross. He gives us a relationship with him. He provides for us. He answers our prayers. He loves us. On and on and on. All these things he does for us, which we don't deserve. But this is the grace of God. And I want you to envision this. You know, just as those sound waves came from all different directions that day when I was in that store and I was immersed in the sound, so the grace of God comes into your life and you are immersed in it. Whether we know it or not, it's another thing, but it's there. And we live our lives in the grace of God. What an amazing thought. What an amazing reality that we we get to enjoy. So far, what I've been talking t- to us about as a, as, a, as a congregation and others is that the grace of God comes to us from him, as I've described. What I want to talk about today is how we, who are the family of God, the church of Christ, how we together can experience the grace of God from one another, how we can share that grace of God in our relationships together. I'm going to go to John chapter 9. I referenced this earlier in the series. It's a really interesting uh, short passage. I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to read to you the relevant parts that, that are here. And I want to unpack it for us a little bit and help you see uh, something significant about how we can embrace this stance of grace. So John 9 verse 1. 
As he went along, he, Jesus, saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now this is an incredible opportunity for us to unpack grace, as we have in one sense already, but how we can be gracious to each other. What we're called to, what we can, how we can live in grace together. The disciples, along with Jesus, see this man who had been born blind. And their immediate question is, who sinned to cause it? Was it, was it he himself or was it his parents' sin that caused him to become blind? And Jesus' response in this text is basically saying it wasn't the man or his parents. In the message version, it's, it's really, it captures something when it says, you're not asking the right question of Jesus. You're not thinking about this way in the right, this circumstance in the right way. What Jesus does to his disciples is say to, to, to them, you need to examine your stance. And I want to call it that today. You have to examine your stance as you approach people in such a state. You know, you can look at those people and you can immediately look for someone to blame. You can look at someone in that situation and have a predisposition to wanting to know who was responsible for this condition. You can, you can look at that man and you can seek to identify the sinner that caused the malady. You can spend your life looking for somebody to blame so that in the end you might judge them. That was what was going on. You know, what they were after was the possibility of saying, well, he sinned, therefore he's responsible. Or his parents sinned, and they're the guilty party which, who, which caused this. And what Jesus is saying is, that's the wrong stance. That's the wrong, that's the wrong approach. That's the wrong way to go at this whole dynamic. What he is saying is, essentially, going back to John chapter 1, he said, you've, you've got to go at this with grace and with truth. You know, you've, you've got to approach this dynamic rather than looking for sin and identifying the sinner and judging the person or persons because of sin. Go about this in such a fashion as the text says. It's an entirely different stance where, whereby God, Jesus says, that this circumstance happens so that the work of God might be displayed in him. It's not about laying blame. It's not about judging people. It's not even about sin. This circumstance exists here and now so that God can work and do something remarkable. So that God can be glorified. So that people can stand, go back, stand back and go, my goodness, what a God he is. Of course, that's exactly what happens here. God does act and the man is uh, healed so that he can see. And he and others think amazing things about Jesus and, and the Father. You see, this is the stance of Jesus. No sin, no blame, no guilt. Just love someone. Treat them with grace and let's see what God can do in the here and now. 
you know, jump back a chapter to, to John chapter 8. We're not going to read the story, but it's the story about the woman caught in adultery. We've referenced it in this series. The Pharisees have the stance of the disciples. They're actually looking for a way to trick Jesus into making a mistake so that they might condemn him. Think about that in itself. There's their stance. So what they do is they go and they, they, they literally seek out a sinner, the woman, and they catch her in the act of adultery. They identify her as a sinner. They identify the sin. They're looking for it, literally. And they bring her to Jesus to see what he might suggest is done. What they want is for her to be judged and condemned to death. Because, as they say, the the law of Moses suggests that she be stoned to death. And they wait to hear what Jesus would do. Well, Jesus enters into this discussion slowly. And he enters in by the way of grace. (laughs) Again, John chapter 1. Grace and truth we have because of Jesus. And what does he do? (laughs) He is not quick to identify sin or to label somebody a sinner or he's not quick to condemn and want to judge someone. Comes along and he says essentially, I refuse to participate in what you are doing. This is not my way. I'm not going to judge her. He refuses to blame her for anything. It's not that he doesn't deal with truth a little later on. Go and leave your life of sin. He gets there. But what he does first is to say, neither do I condemn you to the woman. You know, completely unwilling to shame her as the others have. Completely unwilling to disgrace her, which is indeed what they were doing. His stance, if you would, his approach is to come to her with grace, with love, and in time then, get to truth. Jesus does there what he tells us to do later. Don't judge and you won't be judged. Don't judge. It's not the way of my kingdom. It's not my heart. It's not, it's not my, my, my first reaction when I see sin. It's grace. In the same text, he says, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to take the speck out of your brother's eye so that you can then help them. He said, Look, judge yourself. Look into your own life and see the sin that, that is there. Deal with that. Give that your attention. Make that your preoccupation, not other people's sin. And when you do that, then you really are going to be able to help get the speck out of your brother's eye as you speak truth and love to him or her. See, the Pharisees, (laughs) it's remarkable, you know. They were challenged with this very same point when Jesus says that you who are without sin cast the first stone. In other words, look at yourself, Pharisees. And if you honestly see no sin, then go ahead. Let that person be the first to cast a stone. Didn't happen because Jesus knew that if they would look within themselves, they'd find their own log in their own eye and recognize their need to deal with that first. Which, of course, happened as they went away. You see it, my friends? Jesus is saying, my people, don't be quick to see sin. Don't look for it all over the place. Don't be quick to to identify the sinner. Don't be quick to blame and to criticize and to judge and to condemn. Let love for people be primary. And allow that love 
to then be that which offers them grace so that you can treat them in such a fashion that they don't deserve, granted, but a fashion that will, will, will potentially produce the work of God in them, a changed heart, a life made new because they've encountered the reality of God in his grace through you and through me. You see, one stance is very human. It's all about human behavior that focuses on sin and on, on, on failure and on judgment. Jesus, as I've said, just says, stop doing that. It's not my way. The other stance of grace is divine, literally. This is godlike. It is of, of God. It comes to us. We're immersed in it so that we can pass it along having discovered it. So the question that I would really ask you today, and I'm, I'm just praying that you can take a serious look at this. This is, this is so important for a follower of Jesus to get right. But what is your stance when it comes to people who have broken the law? What is your stance toward people? If you would, your, your reflexive response to people who have sinned and sometimes egregiously. You know, I think of that word reflex or reflexive. I think of going to the doctor and you know, you're getting your physical and you, you're sitting on his bench and he takes that little rubber mallet and he hammers your knee and, and your, your, the, your lower leg just kind of pops out. It's a reflexive action. You don't think about it. It just happens. What's your reflexive response to sin when you encounter it? What happens? What do you do? Well, what the Lord says is as we are surrounded by grace, as we are living in the reality of grace, as, as we are immersed in it by God, in his goodness, having given it to us, we need to live in grace with those who are also immersed by grace. I'm thinking again of a church family. Initially, I was, I was thinking of, of me receiving grace and being surrounded on my own, but the reality is that it, we who are in Christ are never on our own. We're a part of a church family, a community of faith. And in that immersive bubble, if you would want to call it that, there are many people, hundreds in this church. And the question is, how will we act when someone does something wrong? What's our reflective action? I want to tell you, my friends, it's one of the two. It's judgment, condemnation, sin-oriented focus. Or we will, by grace, love people by accepting them in spite of their sin and treating them in a way that they do not deserve, in the very way that God has accepted us in spite of our sin and treats us in a way that we do not deserve. That's God's intention. That's God's plan. That's what God wants for us. See, Jesus did it with the man born blind. He just loved him and was gracious. He gave to him. Jesus did it with a woman caught in adultery. He just loved her and honored her in a way that no one else would. And he treated her with grace, blessed her with his acceptance. And then with the truth that he spoke into her life. See, the reality is one approach, one stance alienates people from us and from the God whom we believe in. The other draws people toward us. The approach of grace draws people toward us and toward the God whom they experience and see through us. You hear it? 
You see that? There is the opportunity for God to do his work in people. There is the opportunity for the Spirit of God to come through our speaking the truth of Jesus into the lives of people who don't deserve to hear it or believe in it until they do and they are transformed. It is the work of God which has blessed them as he has been gracious to us so then he is gracious to them through us. So my friends, which is, is it? Honestly, what do you do? What's your reflexive action? What is it that is your natural inclination? What's your stance? You see it and you judge and condemn. You see it, you love, and you're gracious toward and blessing. I want to tell you, my friends, and I want want to be really honest about this. To see people change, if that's what we're about, judgment doesn't work, ever. It's like an attempt at behavior modification, as if indeed that's what Christianity is about, getting people to act differently. But grace changes people. It's changed me. I bet it's changed many of you who are listening. Changed many people in the Gospels over and over again because Jesus acted toward them in grace and in love. You know, one of the greatest illustrations in my life, at least that illustration which um, was most meaningful to me, I believe, in terms of uh, grace, happened in the 1990s, I believe. It was a time when the the TV evangelists had been incredibly popular, but a good number of them fell in sin. Some some of it was moral failure, sexual uh, affairs, and so forth. Uh, There was one man, Jimmy Baker. uh, He he was incredibly popular. Many, many people loved him and sent him a ton of money. He he developed a very lucrative uh, ministry. He even started like a... Uh, theme park on, on the east coast I believe of the United States where Christians would come and enjoy themselves and also hear preaching and so forth well it turned out in the end that he fell by uh, acting in a fraudulent way misappropriation of funds and so forth and he was charged and convicted and sent to jail there's still a memory in my mind and maybe in the minds of some of you too when he was handcuffed hands behind his back and being led I suppose by a sheriff in the states to, into prison and tears flowing down his face a broken man. In that instance he became a condemned man. There wasn't much mercy not much pity for him. The world looked at uh, Jimmy Baker and it was like you know you a man of God acting like this how dare you you deserve everything you get. No grace. But here's the thing, the Church of Christ treated him the same way. And I got to tell you, I did too in my heart. You know, you have misrepresented God. You've misrepresented us. You've brought shame to the faith. You know, people, people drive people away from Christ, not draw them toward him. Well, he was in prison alone, and he tells the story of one day his uh, cell door opening, and in walked Billy Graham, one of the most godly and capable leaders of Christianity, at least in North America in the 20th century. A man whose life was exemplary. A man who lived for God and was faithful to the end. Well, Jimmy Baker tells the story that as, as Billy Graham walked in, he stood up and Billy Graham walked toward him and just put his arms around him and, and, and hugged him. And as he did that, Jimmy Baker started to cry. And he just stood and he wept. Um, so moved that somebody would treat him with such love and such grace at that time. See, my friends, in that instance, in that moment, I would suggest to you the rest of us were completely unlike God. But Billy Graham (laughs) 
was just like God. This is what we're called to with one another. In the church, in this family. Will we live by grace, not just receiving it from God, but will we offer it to one another whenever it's necessary? I want, to t- I want to tell you, actually read you another story from the New Testament. It's Matthew 18, verses 23 to 35. This is a story that's uh, called the parable of the unmerciful servant, a man who received grace but refused to give it. And I'm going to read this to you and we're going to unpack it a little bit, but I want you to take this seriously because as you'll see at the end of the story, it has a serious message for those of us who claim faith in Jesus. So uh, we're going to start at verse 23 it's just after this the peter asked how many times should we forgive jesus said 77 times jesus speaking therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began the settlement a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him huge amount since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, note that, canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, a far lesser amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now I want to tell you, those are powerful words. It's, it's a remarkable thing that Jesus says that we need, to, we need to receive and understand and apply to our lives. It's an incredibly important thing to know that for we who have received grace, we must give it. (laughs) It's not not optional for us. And here's the point that I think the passage is making. When we receive grace, when we understand it, when our eyes are open, when we really believe it with all of our hearts, you know what? We are going to be so moved in our hearts, the work of God will have been so done in us that the only response that we will give to others is a response of grace. That's what we're called to. That's what God wants of us. My friends, what is our stance when we encounter in the church people who sin, who fall, who make mistakes, who break the law of God even? What will we do? Blame or condemn? Blame and condemn? Criticize? Or love and accept and bless those who don't deserve it? Let me ask you about this. What happens when we're all back together again when either someone within, within our church or somebody, somebody new comes to our church and they have sinned egregiously? You know what I mean by that there? It's not a question. It's so obvious that they have really broken God's law and they've done what's wrong 
and, and they're not following Christ faithfully, etc., etc. What will we do? We have two choices. We can identify the sin in the sinner. We can blame and condemn. Or we can love them in grace and be good to them. What happens, for example, I'm thinking about leadership. You know, what about me if I make a mistake? And by the way, I do. And if you look hard enough, you'll see it. And if you don't see it, I'll fill you in. (laughs) But, you know, I recognize that I make mistakes all the time. And I sin. I'm not perfect. If you see it, what will you do? You know, Paul called himself the chief of all sinners. Maybe I'm the chief of all sinning pastors. What What happens if it's an elder? The chief of all sinning elders. What happens if it's a staff person, chief of all sinning staff people? You know, it is so easy to judge and condemn and be critical of, talk about. and It's not the way of Jesus. I want to tell you the way of Jesus is to love people, even in leadership, who make mistakes. Be gracious toward them. Give them what they don't deserve. Bless them. Bring truth. Yeah, that's great. It's important. But grace comes first. What about a spouse? Here's what I know about every one of you who is married. Your spouse sins quite a lot. I mean, in an ongoing way. Nobody's perfect. And your response to that spouse can be a reflective judgment, looking for sin, speaking about it, identifying the person as a sinner, and condemning. You can do that. I don't know who on earth would want to be in a marriage like that, especially when two parties do it. But the possibility is that your response can be one of grace. Where you love and accept them, even though they don't deserve it. Because that's godlike. When you talk to them, you speak the truth. Grace and truth come in Jesus. Grace and truth. I'll tell you, that, that kind of stance produces a beautiful rich, deep, loving relationship. Those of you who have teenagers or have little kids and they're not yet teenagers, here's the, here's the reality. Teenagers sin. How do I know that? Well, when you were a teenager, you sinned. And so did I. And so will they. In a difficult and challenging season of life. But you know what? What they need, what they need is not condemnation, but love and grace. They need you to bless them when they don't deserve it. They, they need you to love them still. They need you to have an acceptance. They need you to walk into their room sometimes and just throw your arms around them and love them. As Billy Graham did with Jimmy Baker. See, my friends, one way is an incredibly human way. And quite frankly, it has nothing to do with God. The other way, the other stance truly is divine. It is the way of Jesus. And it happens as we recognize the grace of God that has come to us and we just share it with anybody who needs it. It's the way of God. One way alienates people from ourselves and from our Lord. The other glorifies God in the end as they see him in us and at work in us so that they end up glorifying him, seeing his work and honoring him, believing in him even because they've encountered the reality of God's grace through his people. IPC, I challenge you and all who listen 
Let's be a community of grace. Let's be a community of love. Let's treat each other in a God-like way. Not because we all deserve it all the time. Most of the time we don't. But because we have been touched deeply by grace. We have encountered the reality of grace. Remember, we live in it. It surrounds us. And having experienced it. So, my friends, we give it. And something called the kingdom of God becomes a reality in a new and in a powerful way. Christ is honored. His Father is honored. His work is done. God works in and and through us. His work is done. And people's lives are powerfully impacted by the reality of grace. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you recognizing that we live in grace. That in a very real way, we are surrounded by it. We're immersed in it because of who you are and how you have treated us. Lord God, our prayer is that we would become in greater and greater measure a a community of grace where we live, Lord, together in this bubble, if you would, surrounded by grace, offering it to one another and offering it to any who might come among us. Lord, where there are folks maybe today and by your spirit you've helped them see that to some degree they have that reflexive um, uh, option toward identifying sin and, and, and judging people and being critical. God, I just pray that you'd so work in their lives that they, they are empowered to move away from that reality. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, all of us will be like Jesus and that through us your work would be done in incredible ways. So bless us, Father. Enable us to be what you call us to be. Enable us to be the church family that you call us to be. And uh, in this reality, we pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that your kingdom would come. Father, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.